This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in uh, Genesis chapter 3 today. We'll cover the entire chapter. The uh, title of our lesson today is Perils in Paradise. And uh, I've been preparing it, studying it all this week. It was kind of interesting this morning as I was uh, reviewing my notes, preparation for teaching this morning. God seemed to remind me of something that that I should be aware of all the time. And uh, that is that this lesson today is a lesson that Satan doesn't want you to hear. Because we're going to expose him today. We're going to expose his tactics, his devices. And, you know, Paul, the apostle, told us that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. And so when I, when I prayed this morning, when I was praying this morning and uh, asking God to give me wisdom and understanding of his word, I prayed, Lord, I need you more today than I normally do. I, I guess that's a futile prayer because we always need him much, don't we? Because I realize that uh, the content of this lesson today is something that Satan's going to fight. And uh, he's not happy with us exposing him and his devices. And <clears throat> so I trust that today that you will give special attention to the lesson uh, and uh, to the devices of Satan that trick us. He's a master of deceit. Satan's a master of deceit. To deceive us into thinking that we can accomplish things, we can do things, and get by with them without consequences. There's consequences to everything that we do. Some good consequences to things that we do right. But then some terrible consequences of things that we mess up. When we sin, when we disobey God, uh, when we allow Satan... Uh, to take over in our lives and take charge in our lives. Uh, There are consequences to that. We're going to talk about that today. Um, Another thing that came to my attention this morning is a verse of scripture that's not in our lesson today necessarily, but the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Pastor referred to this a little bit from the pulpit this morning. Um, We often think of those high places where we battle spiritual wickedness as being out in the heavenly somewhere. But I think there's a direct application to what we're experiencing today in some of the leadership in our, in our, in our our political leaders. I don't know about you, but I can look at some of our political leaders when they're speaking and just see Satan in their eyes. I, I seriously believe this, folks, that we have people in leadership 
in our governments, in our federal government, and even in our local governments, our state governments, that are demon-possessed. And I say that in all seriousness, and really sadness of heart, that we struggle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the society we live in today. Of course, society has always been dominated by Satan. But I think we see it more today. I see more and more demon activity today, I believe. And, uh, and I think that it's all setting the stage for the appearance of the Antichrist. When I was at Bob Jones University and, and was involved in some of their their productions, their stage productions, like Shakespearean plays and, and different things of that nature. I didn't actually um, do the stage work. It was on stage, some in groups, but they would often, they would often use that term, set the stage, which means to prepare it, you know, for the activity. And uh, that's what I mean by we're seeing the stage being set today for the appearance of the Antichrist. And uh, it's kind of scary, but, it's, but, but in a sense, we, we, can, we can take heart in that and take hope in that because that means the coming of the Lord draws near. I think the rapture of the church is very close. I really do. I, I've, I've said that so many, so many times frequently, uh, recently. And I, I just really believe that Satan sees his incoming, his defeat being evident and imminent, uh, that he's just pulling out all the stops. Father, I pray that you will guide my thoughts today. And Lord, being aware that Satan uh, is not happy with him, his devices being exposed, I do need your help today, Lord. I need your strength. God, I need your wisdom. Lord, I need you to give me clarity of thought today, to be able to recall scriptures, and to be able, Lord, to present this message in such a, uh, such a way, Lord, that it can be clearly understood. And that, Father, we will have a more perfect and wonderful understanding of the devices of Satan so that we can stand against the wiles of Satan and take on the whole armor of God and stand, Lord, even when it's not popular to stand. When everybody else around us is falling and compromising and, and uh, even, Lord, perhaps on some occasions uh, making fun of those who do stand. I would pray, God, that you will bless today. Thank you, Lord, for this class gathered here, for those who are watching by live stream. And I pray, Heavenly Father, if it would please you, Lord, and I know it will, for you, God, to prevent any distractions from your word today being presented clearly. Empower me, I pray, for the power of the Spirit of God this morning. As I present this lesson, I pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Genesis chapter 3, perils in paradise. 
You know, Adam's disobedience introduced sin into the universe. Adam was created and brought into a, a paradise. I, I believe, I believe, and there are those who would disagree with me, but it's my conviction that paradise to come, uh, the new paradise, the new God's new, God's heaven, I'm talking about the eternal state, is right here on earth. And I think that what God brought Adam and Eve into initially, as we saw it in chapter 1 and also chapter 2, is a foretaste of what heaven is like. I believe that the Garden of Eden was heaven on earth. It's called paradise. And I believe that there'll be, that, that'll be recreated in the new creation, in the eternal state. And there, there are so many other things that will take place between that time because we know that when the rapture takes place, we're going to be taken out of here. And I believe that there's some sort of an intermediary body that God prepares for God's people in his presence in the heavenlies, wherever that may be, uh, in preparation for the eternal state. I've mentioned several times this book uh, that you, you ladies uh, in... Uh, um, I forget your name. Yes, Joyce Reason. When Joyce Reason has Sunday school class, she taught a book simply called Heaven, written by Randy Alcorn. I've read it, and I've recommended it to a lot of people to read, and I recommend it to you. It's a thick book. It's, uh, it's a small print. It's not a quick read, but it's a wonderful read. It's the kind of read that you can't put down when you start. I think there's five or six, maybe 700 pages in the book. It's a big book. And, uh, <clears throat> but um, it, it tells you everything you want to ever know about heaven. And, uh, and I believe that uh, most of what he says in there, I, I couldn't find much at all that I disagreed with as I read it. But he, he took the scriptures from all over the scripture, all over the Bible, brought them all together. And it makes sense. And, um, and I guess maybe he was responsible for formulating my, uh, my belief in what heaven possibly is. And, and I don't think he even scratched the surface. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find such a wonderful place. Um, I, I wonder why Satan wanted to destroy all that. I, I don't know. I don't I, I don't know. But anyway, Adam's disobedience brought sin into this universe. Genesis chapter 3 is not a myth. It's an accurate record of the fall of the human race. If the fall of the human race did not actually occur, then Christian faith was built upon fables and Jesus Christ's suffering on the cross was needless. There was no need for it at all. And... Um, we, we find in the whole Bible from Genesis chapter 3 through the end of the book, Revelation 21, the Bible records the conflict between God and Satan and between sin and righteousness. 
And he pleads with sinners to come to repentance, uh, to confess their sin, to trust God, to trust uh, God's Son, a Savior. Everything from Genesis 3 on to the end of the book uh, is that. And so we come to the very first point in our handout. Everybody get the handout? Anyone need the handout? Okay, Gene, Sarah does such a great job in getting, getting these handouts out to you. The first point is the enemy. In Genesis chapter 3, in the first part of verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which God had made. And so he's the enemy. He is so characterized by so many things and people, by writers, by artists, by actors, by comedians, that most people don't believe in, that he really exists. He's just a figment of somebody's imagination. He's a myth. He, he's a created, uh, a figure of creation of man's thoughts, a man's uh, a figment of, of their imagination. Or, or if they do believe it, they don't take him very serious. Here's a couple examples. Mark Twain made this statement. He says, we may not pay Satan reverence, for that would be indiscreet, but we can at least respect his talents. Really? Expect his, uh, in, uh, respect his talents? I don't think so. Many of you will remember the comedian Flip Wilson. It's been a long time since I've heard from him. I think he's still alive, if I'm not mistaken. But he was a very popular comedian back when I was younger, which wasn't very long ago, <laughs> on television. But he made a lot of money and a lot of laughs by saying, the devil made me do it. And to be honest with you, I've quoted him. I've said that a few times myself. He'd always get a laugh in that. But you know, the statements like that and ideas like that somehow give us the sense that you know, Satan is somebody to be laughed at. I don't think we should ever laugh at him because he's a real person. And uh, although we don't understand much about his origin, Satan is he's real, he's our enemy, and he's dangerous. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan appears as a serpent, which, by the way, is the image that Paul uses of him in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. In Revelation 12, he's called a dragon. And both of these names, serpent and dragon, are combined together in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2. Satan is not only a deceitful servant, but he's also a roaring lion, as Paul calls him, in, or as Peter says of him in 1 Peter chapter 5. And he's a roaring lion that goes about to devour. Other names are Abaddon and Apollyon. Both of those names mean destroyer. Even his name Satan means adversary. And the name devil, uh, the a devil is not a name, it's a title, um, which means slanderer. He's a slanderer. He slanders us before God and before other men. In John 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus calls him a murderer and the father of lies. He's also called the evil one um, and uh, called the prince of the world. Uh, both Paul and John also call him the evil one. And Paul said 
Satan was the god of this age, the ruler of this world, of this world system, and a leader of demon forces. And indeed, he really is. And so he is a very, very dangerous person. Satan, has, uh, Satan is no pushover. And God's people must be careful not to allow him to get his nose in their tent. And uh, so often, I'm afraid we've been guilty of doing that. And this is why we're studying the scriptures about him today, to understand his strategy, his devices, to understand his devices. So that brings us to the second point, the strategy. And we find that in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in the second part of verse 1 through verse 5. And let me read those verses. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Sounds enticing, doesn't it? Well, the devil majors in enticements. And so the temptation is an opportunity, is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. It's a good thing to study and pass a school examination, but it's a bad thing to cheat to pass it. Agree? It's a good thing to pay your bills, but it's a bad thing to rob a bank in order to pay your bills. There are consequences for that sort of thing. Satan said to Eve this, something like this. Now, this is not exactly what he said, but this is kind of paraphrasing what, what he meant. He says, I can, give you, I can give you something that you need and something that you want. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to have it and to enjoy it without any bad consequences. Without any bad consequences. Somehow he always convinces us of that. Well, like I said, he's a deceiver. And so um, <clears throat> we have to take note of the stages of his tempting, and that's what the next few points are here. Letter A, Satan disguised himself. He came as a serpent. Uh, Satan, he's clever. He's, a, uh, clever. He's, a, he's an imitator who disguises his true character. He always does that. In fact, he can even masquerade as an angel of light. Paul told us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In the garden, Satan used the body of a snake, one of Satan's creatures, or one of God's creatures that he, that he had made, and he pronounced that it was good. God created a snake, a serpent, they were called then, and God said, that's good. And uh, so Satan seized upon that, capitalized upon that, and, and he took on the form of a snake. And uh, he, he actually embodied a snake. Now, even Eve didn't seem to be disturbed by the snake's presence, or even the fact that he could speak. Probably the first time a, a snake spoke. Uh, Satan made him speak. 
kind of interesting that God made the donkey speak one time and a rooster, you know, especially the donkey, in eligible terms. But anyway, um, and, and so we can assume that she didn't see anything threatening about, about his approach. But you know, Satan always seems to approach us like that in a non-threatening way. He doesn't come to me and say, Walt Coles, you're our dirty, low-down snake yourself. No, he says, you know, Walt, you're, you're kind of a nice guy. You, uh, you're good-looking. Boy, he lies. I told you Satan lied. And uh, people like you. I got some people that like me. I got some that don't. You know, and that's the way he always approaches us to present something to us in a very nice way, a very acceptable way. He has his way of doing things like that, you know. So we have to be very conscious of the fact that that's the way he appears to us all the time. He's a great impersonator. Um, he has produced counterfeit righteousness apart from the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Satan has false ministers who preach a false gospel. He has false brothers and sisters who oppose the true gospel. The devil has gathered his counterfeit Christians into false churches that God calls synagogues of Satan. And um, where, where his false ministers teach Satan's phony deep secrets. And so that brings us to the second thing second stage, Satan questioned God's word. Look at verse 1, uh, the second verse, the second part of verse 1. Yea, hath God said that you, shall not, that you should not eat of every tree of the garden. Oh, did God really tell you that, Eve? The implication is, you don't believe that, do you? In 2 Corinthians 11.3, makes it very clear that Satan has targeted Eve's mind with his weapons of deception. And by questioning what God said, Satan raised doubts in Eve's mind concerning the truthfulness of God's word. Here's, a, here's in essence what he was saying. Do you really mean that you can't eat from every tree? That was the subtle sense of the question. And then, he, and, and then, and then it's, it, God's holding out something on you. Satan ever told you that? God's holding out something on you. you. There's better things, you know. Better things. Satan's question made Eve forget that God had told Adam that they should eat freely of every tree except the tree that's in the midst of the garden. God said, you've got everything you need. You don't need anything more. You've got all these trees in the garden, all of them. I suppose that there were banana trees and orange trees and apple trees. Who knows what was there? You know, all of the good stuff. Maybe some uh, pears and, and uh, all the other stuff that grows on trees. It's good stuff that we eat, you know. You, you can eat, God said you can eat from all of these trees, but wait a minute, there's another tree that I don't want you to eat anything from. If you do, you'll die. 
You can eat freely of all those trees. But there's one tree that God said. In fact, God commanded it. Several times in this, in this chapter, God reminds Adam and Eve that he commanded them not to eat the fruit of that tree. Well, what happened? They did it anyway, didn't they? And so Eve adopted Satan's example of altering the word of God. In her reply in verses 2 and 3, and I'm not going to read those again, I just read them. But in verses 2 and 3, this is her reply. First of all, she admitted, as she omitted, the word freely. God said you can freely eat all those trees. But she admitted that word. Omitted it. And she added the phrase, neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that. Uh, she failed to say that God commanded them not to eat of that fruit. In verses 11 and 17, God definitely said and, and specifically told Adam, I gave you a commandment. And then also Eve copied the devil when she spoke of God. She used the name Elohim and not the name the Lord Jehovah God. Isn't it interesting how people change God's name? The man upstairs. What's that mean? What man are we talking about? Satan's up there too, you know. Uh, he's the prince in the power of the air. Or uh, the force. Or just him. Well, Eve did that. She changed his name. Now, Elohim was a legitimate name of God. But it didn't have the sense that of the name that God himself used of himself, the name the Lord Jehovah, because that means the God of the covenant. God had made a covenant with these people. He says, um, he says don't, don't eat of that tree, but all these other trees you can eat. God made a covenant with them. And, uh, and she, she uh, not only that, uh, she said, lest ye die. God didn't say, lest you die. God says, you certainly will die. You surely will die. The little phrase, lest you die, kind of uh, leaves the door open a little bit. Uh, it's, a, it's a possibility that you would die if you ate that. God says, no, no, it's not a possibility. It's a surety. It's a reality. You will die if you eat of that tree. So here's what happened. She substituted, uh, she subtracted from the Word of God. She added to God's Word, and she changed God's Word, which are all serious offenses against the Word of Truth alone. And any time we substitute or we add to the Word of God or we subtract from it or we change it in any way, it's a dangerous thing for us to do, dangerous thing. And as she was beginning to doubt God's goodness and God's truth. Now, a letter C. Satan denied God's word in verse 4. He says, uh, Servant said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. That's a definite denial of what God had already said. Satan's, Ye shall not surely die, 
is a direct contradiction to God's, ye shall surely die. And we find that over in chapter 2 and verse 17. God says you shall surely die if you eat it. So Satan is a liar, uh, uh, and God is the God of truth. And our response to what God says should always be what David said in Psalm 119 and verse 128. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. You see, when God speaks, it's the truth. When the devil speaks, it's a lie. And when God speaks, we ought to say, that's the truth. And that's where I'll stand. Amen? He should have believed God's word. He, she should have left the serpent. And she should have gone and cleaved to her husband. When you linger with temptation, you get into trouble. Especially when you know your thinking contradicts God's truth. God's truth is our shield and our buckler. But it protects us only when we accept it by faith and when we obey it. Now, Satan also interjected his own lie. In verse 3, or excuse me, in verse 5, he says, ye shall be like gods. Oh, really? You know, that sounds very enticing, doesn't it? That, that's a promise that would, that would grab anybody's attention. To be like God has always been the ambition of those who reject biblical truth. Whether they promote godless humanism, materialism, or so-called New Age religion, or whatever. Actually, the New Age religion's uh, philosophy is as, old, is as old as Genesis chapter 3. In Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> and, I, and I think you're familiar with this, so I'm not going to take the time to read it, but, uh, but I will refer to some of it. In Romans chapter 1, especially beginning with verse 18, Paul describes to us how civilization from the time of Cain rejected the truth of God and turned to foolish lies. Here's what the Bible says. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Do you know what? that's what the environmentalists are doing today? This whole environmentalist um, philosophy charade that we uh, fall into today, I believe is partially a part of the lie of Satan. Now, we ought to be good environmentalists. They're, they're, you know, we ought to take care of God's creation as much as we can. But, but some of these... Um, uh, some of these, what do I want to call them? Uh, people in high places. <laughs> you said that, I didn't, okay? <laughs> but I was thinking it. Um, I've just taken it to a, 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 an unreasonable step. You know, out in Washington, excuse me, out in California, and I think this is still going on out there. You may want to correct me if I'm wrong that there are farmers that can't get water that is very readily available, but they can't get it because there's some, there's some little bug or some little something or other that, that'll be hurt if they run the water down the channel. Hogwash. 
Now that's some of the idiots, excuse me, that's some of the, uh, that's some of the uh, environmentalists that we deal with in these days. Where am I? Question. It says that uh, they changed the truth of God into a lie. And then uh, Jesus said that uh, he is a liar and the father of it in John 8, 44. And uh, in defiance of God, humans exchange God's truth for a lie. And you'll notice that these are singular. It's one lie. It's a singular lie. So there's a particular lie that they change the truth of God into. And, and here's the essence of that lie. What is the lie? The singular lie. Now, the devil has a lot of lies, but here's the singular lie that most of us buy into. Here it is. It's that um, uh, it's the belief that man and woman, men and women, women, can be their own God and live for the, the creation and not the creator and not suffer any consequences. We can live for ourselves and not suffer any consequences. Believing this, they refuse to submit to God's truth, uh, but prefer the lie of Satan, but prefer, to real, uh, but, uh, but prefer to believe Satan's lie and follow his diabetical, bi diabolical plan for their destruction. They don't realize that Satan is their master. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 makes that very clear to us. I was going to read that, but I'm not going to take the time. I'm running out of time. And the lake of fire is their destiny. When you review the sequences, we've gone through it here. I think you can get a better understanding how Satan leads people to disobedience. Once we question God's word, we're we are prepared to deny the truth and believe Satan's lies. It's a short step from there to believing Satan's promises and then disobeying God's commandments. When our Lord was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, where it's recorded, he answered Satan's lies with God's truth three times. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And that's what you and I ought to do. We ought to learn. We ought to ask God to give, give us spiritual discernment that we can discern that this is either the truth of God or the lie of Satan. We have to do that. And so then that brings us to the tragedy, Roman numeral three, the tragedy, verses six and seven. And when, when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eye and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, did eat, and gave to her husband uh, with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, his wife, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So what a tragedy we see here. Human beings are so, um, so constructed that we, we have to believe something. All of us believe something. But you know, if we, if we can't believe the truth, then eventually we're going to believe the lie. 
the lie of Satan, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verses, uh, 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 chapter 2, verse 10. In fact, I, I want us to turn there and look at that verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. Where is it? I thought I had it marked here in my Bible. Here it is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Let's go back to verse 8. It says, Then shall the wicked, that wicked, wicked ones, and in this case it's talking about the Antichrist. Then shall the Antichrist be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in, in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God sent strong delusion upon them. Uh, and this is talking, of course, about the revelation of the Antichrist during the tribulation period, which I think we're very, on, very much on the threshold of. And uh, so what, what has happened is they've rejected the truth. And more and more people today are turning from the truth to accept the lie of Satan for the revealing of the Antichrist. All right. So the tragedy is disobedience, verse 6, letter A, disobedience. First, Eve ate of the fruit, and she gave the fruit to her husband, and he ate it. And uh, both of them disobeyed the Lord, both of them. But here's the difference. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned willfully. Did you get that? with his eyes wide open. And that's the reason why Paul points to Adam and not Eve as the one who brought sin and death into the human race. In Romans chapter 5, uh, beginning of verse 21, it says, For as in Adam all die. Eve was one that was deceived, but Adam did it willfully. He had his eyes wide open. He knew what happened. But he was deceived by his wife. Strange thing. And so the first Adam was the head of the human race, that old creation. When he sinned, we sinned in him and suffered the consequences of sin and death. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, is the head of the church, the new creation. And through his dying on the cross, we have life and we have righteousness. And yes, sin and death are reigning in the world today, but... Grace and righteousness are also reigning through Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ moves us out of Adam, the first Adam, and into Christ, the second Adam. And we're accepted to him. And then the second thing is knowledge. Uh, excuse me, yeah, the second thing, letter B. The second part of the tragedy is knowledge. In verse 7, it said, we read that. Uh, they became knowledgeable. Let me get back here. And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked. Satan is a clever imitator. Excuse me, I went, I went back one page instead of going forward one page. Satan, promises, Satan promised them that they would be like God. 
that they would know good and evil. And you know his promise was partially fulfilled. Uh, they didn't become like God and have all knowledge, as Satan's lie indicated that they would. Uh, they only became knowledgeable of their sin. That's what the scripture tells us here. They knew that they were naked. And so Satan's lies are never true. He said, you're going to be like God's. You're going to know that you're going to know, uh, you're going to have knowledge. You're going to know good and evil. Well, they did. They found that out. They found out what evil was for the first thing, first time. The first time evil was introduced in, into the human race. They knew it. They discovered that they were naked. They didn't know it. They didn't know the difference before then. They were innocent, you see. And um, um, they only became knowledgeable of their sin. Satan's lies are never true. Adam and Eve lost their innocence. And for the first time, had a personal understanding of what sin really meant. And this knowledge didn't add to their happiness one bit. Satan indicated, you're going to be happy. You're going to be like God's. Uh, and, uh, but it didn't add to their happiness. It would have been far better had they obeyed God and grown in the knowledge of him. In scripture, the, shame, the shameless exposure of the naked body is, is associated with idolatry, Exodus 32, drunkenness, Genesis 9 and Hebrews 2, and demonism in Luke chapter 8 and Acts chapter 19. It's a mark of a depraved society on the threshold of destruction when people make a business out of the flagrant exposure of the naked human bodies as the object of sensual pleasure whether it's in person, in pictures, in films, whatever. You know the pornography industry grosses $12 billion a year in our society. That's in America. $12 billion, pornography. Hmm. And then the uh, third part of the tragedy was shame. And uh, that's in verse 7. Adam and Eve, when they realized that for the first time that they were naked... They quickly made coverings to cover up their bodies. You know, sin ought to make us ashamed of ourselves. God has given us an inner judge called conscience. And it accuses us when we do wrong. And it approves of us when we do right. There was a Christian Indian one time that compared his conscience to an arrowhead in his heart. And here's what he said about it. He said, if I do wrong, it turns and hurts me until I make it right. But if, it, but if I keep doing wrong, the arrowhead keeps turning and wears down its points and it doesn't hurt anymore. You know, that's where some of us are. The arrowhead has been turning so much that the points are worn. It doesn't bother us anymore. Conscience doesn't prick us any longer. God calls that a seared conscience in 1 Timothy 4.2, and also an evil conscience in Hebrews 10 and verse 22. It, never, it no longer functions properly. Sin that used to be committed in the darkness is now ex exhibited openly in movies and television and, and, and open public and so forth. And, 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 and when people object, they're called prudes or Puritans. 
And when people no longer when people are no longer ashamed of their sin, their character is gone. Jeremiah wrote about that. <clears throat> uh, there was a group of people he wrote to, these were Jews. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and also in, in Jeremiah chapter 8, this same verse appears twice there. It says this, Were they ashamed when they had committed an uh, abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time when I visit them shall they be cast down, saith the Lord. You know where all these pornographers are going to go? Yeah, they're going to go to hell. What do you look at on your computer? You got any magazines tucked away anywhere? Hidden away? I hope not. Not this crowd. And then the, the fourth part of the tragedy is fear. Letter D. Verse 8. Adam and Eve felt ashamed because of what they were. They were naked. And they felt guilty because of what they had done. They disobeyed God. Guilt and, feel, guilt and fear are partners. They work together. Which explains why our first parents didn't enjoy their evening walk with God anymore in the garden. Adam admitted in verse 10, he says, I was afraid. Trying to hide from God is futile. It's futile. And yet guilty sinners still attempt the impossible. Shame, fear, and guilt so transformed the inner person that Adam and Eve could no longer enjoy their beautiful garden paradise. The trees that they tended and admired and the fruit that they ate from them are now only things to be used to hide these two frightened figures from the face of God. You know, nature is a window through which we can see God. The heavens declare the glory of God in the firmament, shows his handiwork, the psalmist said. But Adam and Eve tried to make what was, uh, uh, what was open to them and what they enjoyed. Adam and Eve tried to make it a locked door to keep God out. They hid from God. And one day the Savior would die on a tree so that those frightened sinners and all of us who followed them could come to the Lord and find forgiveness. And that brings us to, us to Roman numeral 4, the discovery, verses uh, 9 through 13. I'm not going to take the time to read these verses because I'm running out of time, so let me just proceed. I trust that you've already read the chapter here. The discovery. The form in which God appeared to our first parents when they had fellowship with God is not explained. We don't really know uh, how God appeared to them. Uh, he probably assumed some kind of a temporary body that veiled his glory. Uh, that happened, you know, when he visited Abraham many years ago, and that's recorded in the 18th chapter of Genesis. Uh, but nevertheless, he came to them, he appeared to them. And so here in this discovery, first of all, we see God seeking, letter A, verse 9. 
It says Adam and Eve, would, Adam and Eve uh, uh, should have been running to God, confessing their sin, and asking for his forgiveness, but instead they were hiding from, the, from them like any other sinner does. Hide from God. Romans 3.11 says there's no, none that seek after God. There's no sinner that seeks after God. That's why God has to seek after sinners, and that's what we find here. Billy Sunday made this statement. He says, sinners cannot find God for the same reason criminals can't find a policeman. They're not looking. Sinners aren't looking for God. God had interrupted his Sabbath to go and find this man and this woman that he had made in his own image. When Jesus ministered on earth, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And today, through the witness of the church by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is seeking the lost and, and bringing them to a Savior. And I thank God for those who get saved. And then, uh, B, point B, God speaking, verses 9 through 13. God does not ask questions because he needs information. You ever think about that? God didn't say, where are you, Adam? Because he needed some information. He knew where Adam was. And God always has the answers. So, so why does he ask questions? Uh, he, seeks, he asks questions to give us an opportunity to face facts, to be honest, to confess our sins. God didn't speak to Adam and Eve as a cruel master to a disobedient slaves. It's more like a broken-hearted father speaking in love to his wayward children. First of all, uh, God confronted Adam to give him an opportunity to answer and to come out into the open. Uh, that God called him at all, by the way, as an act of grace. God could have spoken a word of judgment and just destroyed Adam and Eve. Another gracious wonder is the fact that Adam could hear God's voice and could respond to it. For his inner nature had been so polluted by sin that he, did, he didn't want to face God. And once Adam and Eve came out of hiding, they confessed their, their nakedness, their naked shame, and their guilty fear. And they admitted that they had eaten the forbidden tree. However, something strange here. Uh, when God asked them point blank... If they had eaten the tree, Adam never said, yes, I did. It was me, God. I, I'm sorry I did that. That wasn't his response. You know what he did? He played the blame game. You know that woman you gave me? Some of you husbands are sitting back there with a guilty look on your face. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. But he blamed both God and his wife. And then when God asked Eve about the situation, she blamed, she blamed the snake. Well, you know that serpent? He beguiled me. They had excuses, but they didn't have any repentance at that point. Billy Sunday said, an excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Right on target. Eve gave Adam the first, uh, the fruit, gave Adam the fruit. Eve gave Adam the fruit because a certain serpent deceived her. But it was no reason for Adam to disobey God. And when people start making excuses, 
it's evidence that they don't have a sense of the enormity of the sin that they've committed or that they even want to confess or repent. If sinners can find some loophole, they'll run through it as quickly as they can. And so, but there's a penalty, there's a consequence. You know what, it just, that clock back there says it's 12 o'clock. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. <laughs> the penalty of sin or consequences. First of all, to the, to the serpent. God pronounced sentence first on the serpent and then on the devil who had used the serpent. And it seems, by the way, this is kind of interesting. It seems that the creature that Satan used originally walked upright because God humiliated the serpent and put him as low as the dirt. He says, from here on, you're going to crawl on the ground. And uh, uh, God's words to Satan well, I won't, I won't go into that. Let me, let me skip along here. Uh, then there was a consequence to the woman. Now, God reinforced his word of hope to Eve by assuring her that she would bear children. And so, therefore, she's not going to die immediately. She's going to bear children. And also, and, and, and in that childbearing, she would have a lot of pain and also be in submission to her husband. And then let her see the man. Eve would have pain in childbirth, but Adam would have pain in his daily labor in the field as he worked to get the food. And Adam, Adam would meet obstacles that would make him toil and sweat to produce the harvest. That was a reminder to him that his disobedience had affected all of creation. Take your time, if you will. I don't know. I think this is in your notes. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. Is that there? Yeah. Take the time to read that and see how the sin of Adam corrupted the whole earth. And then there's a recovery. Roman number six. The recovery, Genesis 3, verses 20 through 24. First of all, um, they got a new name. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Praise the Lord. Got a new name. Adam believed God's promise, verses 15 and 16, and he called his wife's name Eve, which means living. That's interesting. She'd been sentenced to die. But then Jesus came. And in Jesus Christ, she has life, eternal life. New name, new clothing. God, God's response to Adam and Eve's faith was to remove the old, fragile, inadequate, man-made garments and clothe them with acceptable garments that he himself had provided. Isaiah 61.10 is a good verse to look up there. Innocent animals died that men and women might have a new beginning and a new fellowship with the Lord. It's a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ did for sinners on the cross. And then a new home. You know, Adam and Eve ate of the tree of... Uh, if Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of life, uh, uh, they would have lived forever on earth as sinners. And they would have been miserable. The rest of their existence would have been... They would have been sinners. That's what the tree of life was all about. 
They lived the rest of their existence as sinners. But what did God do? Um, uh, he, he, he He drove them out of the garden and put angels there to keep them from coming back into that paradise. Why? Because they had destroyed that paradise. They weren't worthy of it anymore. They were sinners. And God was going to have to make another paradise after which they had been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. A new creation, a new paradise, a new home. And that's what you and I have to look forward to. A new paradise, a new home. And as I said earlier, I believe it'll be right here on earth. I mean, Peter tells us that, that God's going to renovate this earth. He's going, to just, he's going to renovate it with fire. Make it over again. Recreate it. And Gene, this is where we're going to spend eternity. I might even get to teach this Sunday school class again. <clears throat> uh, right here, maybe, right here at Good News Baptist Church. In the, the new creation. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm not sure what I would teach. It would all be about the glory of God, I'm sure, you know. Uh, I wouldn't have to teach about Satan because he, he's going to be in a lake of fire. We're going to get rid of him. God's going to get rid of him. We're not, but God is. We can't handle him, but God can. Amen? Father, thank you so much uh, for for giving us this hope. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that though while we are confronted with a vicious enemy, and God, we thank you that even though our first parents um, tragically sinned and plunged us all into sin, that there's a Redeemer. He's called Jesus. Shed his precious blood for the forgiveness of our sin that someday, God, we may have a new name, new garments, and a new home. We pray in Jesus' name, in thanksgiving, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.